CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, everybody. It's The Hash on Coindesk TV. I'm Zach Seward. That's Wendy O. That's Jen Sanasi. And that's Will Foxley down there. We're here to get you up to speed on all that's going on in the world of crypto. We are going to talk about all sorts of good stuff, including some quote-unquote leaked financials from FTX. Wendy, take it away. Oh boy. Happy Manic Monday, everybody. I hope you guys had a fantastic weekend. So we have to talk about FTX because apparently they grew revenue 1,000% during the crypto craze, according to leaked financials from CNBC. And I kind of feel like a lot of people were able to thousand times their revenue. However, some of us, including myself, were not able to keep <laughs> all of that profit. But let's go ahead and cover some <laughs> stats. <laughs> uh, hey, back, I'm just huh? being honest. Moonbags down bad, NFTs down bad. We are going to make it wag me. So internal documents seen by CNBC reveal that FTX revenue grew more than a thousand percent from 89 million to 1.02 billion in 2021. Operating income was 272 million, up from 14 million in 2022. Total net income of 388 million, up from just 17 million in 2020. And around two thirds of revenue came from futures trading, while up to 16% came from spot trading. Make sure you guys are utilizing safe practices while trading, especially futures. Um, the investor deck also shows that FTX brought in 270 million revenue during quarter one of 2022 and was on track to do roughly 1.1 billion in 2022. Documents show they had 2.5 billion cash at the end of 2021 and 27% margins, but it's still kind of unclear how they held up during quarter two. Zach, go ahead. Crazy to think about how young a company FTX is. I think we forget it, but this is a company that was started in 2019. I think FTX US has been around for less than two years. So first of all, you're starting from a pretty small number when you shoot up to up a thousand percent. So they have that going for them. That's definitely to be stated. I mean, FTX is a remarkable story, right? They've grown into prominence. They've, they rode the bull cycle exceedingly well. And I was seeing some of those numbers that were shared slash leaked. I saw some interesting sort of behind the scenes uh, speculation from one Coindesk reporter about the CNBC reporter who you know produced this story happened to be in the Bahamas interviewing Sam Bankman-Fried the day prior to this being published. So maybe, just maybe, they're trying to leak this positive headline 
in CNBC to get a little goodwill out in the market there. But yeah, always interesting to see these headlines and always interesting to think about how the sausage gets made. But FTX, yep, remains a remarkable story. Remains a remarkable tale of getting their brand out there from like, you know, from nothing to everywhere in seemingly six months flat. So yeah, big time bull market winner here. Can they do it in this year, in this climate? That number, I think, is the one that most people should be interested about. And now they have a benchmark against which to be compared. So we'll see what happens. Wendy, back to you. Uh, Before I toss it over to Jen, they've got really, really, really good PR. The way it was released, the way the story was produced, very great PR. And this is why marketing is so important in any industry, because all it is, is just basic communication. I love a good internal leak. We're not saying that's what happened. But Zach, when I read the story too, I was like, who leaked this? Who could want this out there? Hmm. And thank you for that little Hmm. tidbit. I thought it was interesting that FTX US accounted for less than 5% of revenue. I think it's an important piece of the story. You know, we talk about regulations and sanctions so much in the space now, and it seems like they were really able to grow by all of those acquisitions. Another thing that was interesting to me is the fact that they haven't had to let go of any of their workforce, right? When we saw all of these crypto companies letting people go, Sam Bankman-Fried came out and said, you know, he actually went against investor advice to hire during the bull run and really was focused on embedding new employees into the company culture. I think that we don't talk about that enough in this space, that people are really what drives success in companies. And so often we talk about tech And, you know, this promise of this wonderful world that we're working towards and none of us know when we're getting there. But I think when you have people who have a mutual value exchange with a company, we see success stories like this. Will, what do you think? Yeah, there's a lot of great nuggets in this report. And I love how you guys latched on to them leaking this document. It's probably what happened. Thousand percent revenue is a great headline, but also look into the story itself. And you'll see that they've actually found new markets that the biggest competitors, Coinbase and Binance, have not tapped into as largely as they have in the past. FTX has gone out in a very saturated market, or what people thought was a saturated market, and they created a new dominant exchange that's up there. FTX, Coinbase, and Binance are probably the three exchanges that most people know about in crypto or most people have an account with or in crypto. And most laymen who are not really involved in the industry probably know about those three different teams just based on marketing or based on interacting with crypto even a little bit. So props to them for figuring out those markets. The last thing is interesting to me was the cash on hand. Going to a bear market is really important. So the $2.5 billion cash on hand, and that's only after $1 billion revenue last year. I'm curious to know how they did that. Like, Where does that cash come from? Did they buy some crypto assets, sell at the right time? We know that Alameda Research is an integral part of FTX. They're separate entities, but in the past, they have been very linked. And Sam bankman fried has been the CEO of both those at one point. So I'm curious to know more about like the corporate structure going to a bear market. We might have to get some more leaked financials to find out about that. However, Zach, up to you for the next story. All right, we'll change gears. Let's go to the world of DeFi. DeFi exchange Uniswap, real popular automated market maker over there on the Ethereum blockchain. They are complying with some OFAC sanctions and are blacklisting about 253 addresses that are known to be linked to sanctions violations, according to the US government. Now, this is interesting. There's been a whole lot of conversation around whether or not things on Ethereum can be censored as it relates to compliance issues brought up when OFAC sanctioned Tornado Cash, a very popular Ethereum mixing service. So I think if you go into the weeds here, uh, you can see the rationale pretty clearly, right? This is a quote unquote, you know, docs team, largely based in the US, 
and they don't want to go to jail. And people who are building these tools are even stating as much on sort of the chat logs that are being cited in this conversation. So we can toss this uh, to the group. We'll see if anyone has strong feelings. And we'll start with Will. What do you got? Yeah, this is not a very surprising story, right? The baristas in Brooklyn are a little bit nicer than the baristas in any sort of federal prison. So I don't see any of the developers in Uniswap Labs <laughs> wanting to sacrifice their careers for this at all. Especially well, in like it's like a front end, right? Like just boot up a front end. It's five thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars. Make a new front end. Doesn't matter. Uniswap Labs is not going to sacrifice themselves over it. Smart contract still works. It's still out there. You can still swap whatever you want. There you go. General toward to you. Yeah, I think this is a great story that shows the difference between a centralized front end that's run by a company in New York that wants to abide by the laws because they don't want to go to jail and a decentralized back end that allows anyone to interact with smart contracts. I think it's also important to show people, though, that crypto isn't this like be all and end all for criminals. It's not anonymous. There are a lot of companies out there, a lot of analytics firms that are working with centralized companies to identify people who are committing nefarious acts. And this is a great example of it. So if you are thinking about, you know, doing something a little bit fishy using crypto, look at this story. There are a lot of companies out out there that can find out who you are. And if not find out who you are, at least freeze those funds. So don't do it. Don't be a bad person. Wendy, what do you got? I I want to chime in and say, one of the reasons why I like crypto, it's very transparent. You can see when people are doing bad stuff. And also too, one of the things that I wanted to bring up, I hate paying taxes. I think taxes are theft. I don't think anything positive about them. I don't think they actually go where they're supposed to go. But at the same time, I comply. I bend the knee and I pay my taxes because I'm not trying to get gaffled up or pay exorbitant fines. So I kind of understand why people over at Uniswap are complying. They don't want to go to jail. Nobody wants to go to jail. I don't think jail would be a very, very fun thing. It's cold in there from what I've heard. But I can understand why they're doing it. However, I will say that because of these new laws, regulations, sanctions, whatever it may be, we're going to see a lot more projects come out and continue to be anonymous, which is actually not good for the crypto industry. Because if somebody is anonymous, it makes the project a little bit more sketchy because you don't know who it is. Do they have a positive track record, et cetera? So I don't think it's going to be a good thing for the crypto industry as a whole. But at the same time, I understand why they are doing this. Yeah, and these update notes in GitHub are super interesting, right? This is the essence of the debate, you know, distilled into an update log on a piece of software. You know, this is user privacy and freedom versus compliance and potential overreach. And these are the big weighty issues that developers in space are weighing at all times. By all accounts, OFAC overapplied this action, right? They did this overly broad swath of users who potentially touched at some level some of these addresses that seem to be linked to bad deeds, right? So they used a very blunt force instrument here. And now you have some engineers at Uniswap Labs saying, hey, I'm a docs individual in the US, but I need to reckon with these big ideas. And we want to try to apply this as precisely as possible without us going to jail. And so you see what comes down to it. The proof is in the pudding. 253 addresses are blocked from the front end of Uniswap. Thing can still operate in the back end in any different ways. But Uniswap Labs, the known entity operating this front end, can no longer be said to be supporting these bad guys that have been identified by OFAC. And that's something, whether it's being broadcast to the world or is happening in Slack conversations, that's happening across the space as we speak. How do we do this in a way that complies with the letter of the law, avoids us going to jail, but also doesn't sacrifice the big ideals on which crypto is founded? And I think it's really interesting to see this conversation unfold on Twitter and on GitHub as teams reckon with it. But I'll toss it to Will for his final thoughts. 
as this conversation is happening on the base layer, right? With L1s, not just with applications. It's happening with like, what transaction do I include on my blockchain? Should validators or miners be able to block different, different transactions based on like the components in those transactions? Have they been touched in the past by an address or a wallet that OFAC doesn't like? How deep does it have to go to stop OFAC from regulating my chain and to protect myself as a validator or as a miner? Like these are new questions that everyone's going to have to grapple with. Luckily, a lot of people back in the day, like early 2010s, like started looking at this stuff and came some, to some decisions. And there's some chains that are around like Zcash and Monero that have really grappled with these questions deeply. But now we have some new projects like Tornado Cash or some of these other DeFi applications like Uniswap that have been built in the last few years that are really in the forefront of this. And all those developers are feeling the burn uh, from pushing forward with their novel decentralized finance products. Zach, I'll kick it to you, though, as we head into break. Let's head into break. We'll take a quick break and then we'll go back to Tornado Cash discussing a small protest over actions against an open source developer. We'll talk about that and more after the break here on The Hash. Happy Monday. We're glad you're here. Coindesk has a new event. It's called Ideas, the Investing in Digital Assets and Enterprises Summit. It facilitates capital flow and market growth by connecting the digital economy with traditional finance. Join us for a 360 investment experience where you can source, invest, and secure the next big deal in digital assets, all in one place. Use code HASH20 for 20% off a general pass. Register today at coinest.com forward slash ideas. Welcome back to The Hash. Alexei Pertsov was arrested August 10th for his involvement with Tornado Cash, being a developer for that project. And about 50 people gathered in Amsterdam's Dam Square to protest his arrest this weekend. Uh, it's a pretty small arrest in grander terms of like protests out there. But itself, like the fact that people are gathering and, and talking about this is very important. To me, it reminded me of a few different uh, protests in the back in, in the past, like uh, Virgil Griffith being arrested for his involvement going to North Korea and a few other developers who have been arrested by U.S. government officials or foreign government officials for their involvement in building decentralized free code. Wendy, I want to throw this one over to you, get your take on it. Uh, I think this protest would be a lot bigger if it was maybe in the U.S. or if there's more people able to get there on short notice. Uh, but I like to see that there's actually people who are willing to put their face out there and what, for the most part, is a pretty pseudonymous community. I really do like the idea of peaceful protests. And I like the fact that people got up and they spoke out about this because I do think that it's wrong. And I've been screaming about it on all of my socials, on TikTok, on Instagram, on YouTube, on Twitter, because it's wrong. This person created an open source code, which is supposed to be language, and didn't have the intention of creating something to do bad stuff. He just wanted to promote privacy. And I do think that everybody does deserve privacy. Myself, I'm a mom to a six-year-old. If I want to go to Target and buy something and I'm happening to use cryptocurrency when that day does come, I want to be able to keep my stuff private. I don't want people to know what I'm buying, especially if I get like a stalker or something weird. And I think this goes to other people as well, especially other women who have survived particular things. So I don't like that he was gaffled up, that he was detained. I think it's wrong. And I'm excited to see that there are people out there that actually stood up and said something. It's nice. And hopefully more people in the crypto community come together to kind of fight this instead of sitting and trolling on the internet because it's not really doing anything for our freedom or the industry as a whole. Yeah, Wendy, you know, when I read this story, I was like, oh, 50 people 
That's so sad. You know, I wish that more people would take action. I know there's definitely more than 50 people who don't agree with what's happened. And so I think that this is an opportunity to applaud the people that that went out and protested this in Amsterdam and also, you know, um, take inspiration from them. You You have the ability to protest in your own city in various different ways. And so if this is something you don't agree with, definitely do speak out. What was interesting to me is I didn't realize that Alexei actually hasn't been arrested or charged with anything. He's being held on suspicions. I thought that was really interesting and upsetting at the same time. And I wanted to bring up a quote from one of the protesters. They said, let's stay competitive. Let's have clear laws. This creates uncertainty. We say this on the show so, so many times. But with this uncertainty, we get these situations where law enforcement is able to hold people. They're not arrested. They're not charged with anything. As they try and figure out what's going on in the industry, I don't think it's fair. And and I I think we should be inspired by these people and speak up in whatever way we can. Zach, what do you think? The bigger question is, you know, is open source a crime, right? You've seen placards out here. Open source is not a crime. Uh, These are just tools. These are neutral tools. They can be used for good and bad. Should the people who built the tools be held liable for how they're used? That's the big question that we face here. Whether or not this takes place in the U.S. context around the First Amendment or on other free speech laws around the world is also a question. Uh, But again, as we've said before, the introduction of money to this equation significantly changes how people are going to approach this situation. Money has a way of clarifying, distilling, heightening the importance of some of these big, heady questions that had previously been only involved in sort of the realm of communications or expression, right? Now we have big time money at play that some people, even state actors, are using these tools to do bad things with that money, right? So how do you have this conversation in a meaningful way, in a meaningfully different framework than what it had been in the past, even 15 years ago, right? We weren't having to face these questions around open and permissionless systems. Should the people who make those systems be held liable if those tools get used to do bad things? And that's what this ultimately boils down to. And I think that's why everyone in the space is especially fascinated by the tornado cash and all the ramifications this action includes. Will, I'm tossing it to you. Yeah, there's a few different ways we could take the discussion, but I think the most important thing at this point is looking at the Ethereum community and deciding how they are going to move forward. I've seen a lot of different opinions. CTO, the former CTO of SushiSwap tweeted out last weekend that he was pretty disappointed by the Ethereum community, about a lot of people turning face and not really owning up to the situation, saying that they weren't taking it seriously. I've seen other people say, hey, no, it's actually fine right now. That smart contract is still alive and available. And some DeFi apps are choosing not to point towards those addresses, but they're still there. Ethereum is still working correctly, right? And so I think we're going to see going forward over the next year or so, a lot of different decisions on how to make these programs. A lot of people are making personal decisions if they want to be involved in the space. And if they're going to be involved in the space, are they going to have an actual personality and for like an actual face on Twitter even? Might be more synonymous people, like you said, Wendy. We'll see. For Ethereum itself, I think most of the core devs out there and most people working on nodes or working on clients, they're going to continue to put censorship resistance into the base layer. With the merge happening pretty soon here and with some debates about MEV and uh, some context around like how MEV can cause censorship resistance, this whole conversation is only going to escalate in importance. But for right now, I do trust that Ethereum developers are going to continue to put censorship resistance into the base layer of Ethereum itself. But let's move to the last subject. Got to get an NFT story in to begin the week. Jen, throw it to you. Got to do it. You got to do it. 
All right, we're going to say in Ethereum land, many Bored Ape NFTs are in danger of being liquidated. So NFT lending platform BendDAO has collateralized almost 3% of the entire collection. And now they say that a lot of them are very close to being forcibly sold. Now, BendDAO is a peer-to-peer lending service that lets users borrow Ether against their NFTs. Customers can take a loan that is equal to 30 to 40% of the NFT collection's floor price. Now, with floor prices tumbling along with the price of Ether, some people might find their NFTs on auction very soon. Will, I'm kicking it right back to you. I see that smirk on your face. What do you make of the story? <laughs> well, I mean, getting liquidated is probably better than losing your seed phrase. That's the first thing that came to mind for me. So shout out to them for figuring it out. Maybe getting a little money back. Uh, these projects are cool. They are novel, right? To see like a liquidation engine for uh, an application for NFTs is interesting. The fact that you can take out a loan based on your random profile pick uh, is pretty cool. And the, like the mechanics of it are, are pretty nerdy and fascinating to me. But besides that, like this makes sense, right? NFT markets have cooled off. We've finally seen uh, like not the total collapse, but like definitely a deep bear market for NFTs that they've not entered in before. And now is a time to really test these things. Just in the same way in 2020, we saw DeFi summer go through a DeFi winter immediately following that summer, like basically August through December of 2020. There was a pretty deep bear market for a lot of tokens. A lot of these projects had to be tested. There's a bunch of cascading liquidations. And a lot of these projects had to deal with that for the first time. And I think these NFT markets are now going to have to grapple with that as well. So I'm interested to see if these markets hold up, if they are robust, and how many people actually get liquidated by not really controlling their NFT floor prices very well. Zach, I'll throw it up to you. Yeah, is this like an NFT lending like bank run? Is that like what we're seeing here? Because it is weird to see... The monkeys on the run. crises uh, play out in different venues, right? It's like, okay, no, like, oh, this this platform is tumbling. Everyone's like, oh, I'm withdrawing and there's, a, there's no liquidity left, right? So all these people are in bad shape. It's just funny to see these ramifications play out repeatedly across different marketplaces, this time in the NFT lending space. I don't think we've seen this happen before with like an NFT lending platform in crisis such as this. So I think there was just some news out this morning that, you know, voting is commencing to change sort of the liquidation parameters. That's likely going to get pass through. I think it's the vote is open through Tuesday. So clearly this team and its decentralized community around it are working to maybe mitigate some of the pain here. Whether or not this will happen in time for those who are in the danger zone of losing their collateral, that time will tell, but the team is trying to fix it. We'll see what happens. Wendy, what are your thoughts? I remember I said something about there being a whole lot of over collateralized loans and collateralized loans. And I got trolled on Twitter for it. But in fact, we're still seeing this play out. So one of the things I do want to talk about, if you are going to take out a collateralized loan, please understand how it works and make sure that you can stomach a bear market because things are going to get a lot, lot worse. Another thing I want to add, you could moonbag your NFTs, which would probably be a better strategy. That basically means you buy a couple NFTs, you sweep the floor when it's super low, number goes up, you remove your initial investment and profit. And when you do that with NFTs, you basically sell some of them to kind of mitigate risk. And that's a tactic that I like to use. But the collateralization of NFTs, I think it's important for the industry to get pushed forward because it's kind of like decentralized banking. People need liquidity for different things to increase capital. But at the same time, you have to be very, very careful and understand what you're getting into. And if we do get this sort of cascade of liquidations, obviously it is going to impact floor price. But at the same time, I feel like it does need to be a necessary evil to kind of advance the industry. And also, you know, if you're going to take a loan out, for additional capital, there are risks associated with that. So always keep that in the back of your mind. Wendy, you're just the queen of moonbag. 
We got to get a wipe for you. I've been buying everyone she's been talking about, and I'm doing quite well, <laughs> let me tell you. Quite oh, well. Geez. Not financial advice. Might retire oh. from the show pretty soon here. <laughs> Just a heads up. Will, Just kidding. what are you doing? I'm very Sarah? down. That's please okay. send money to his address. <laughs> yes, please send money to his address. We are sweeping the floor. We are buying all the liquidated funds. That's what's happening. Let's Pass go. Down. We're the rebend Dow. All right, let's, let's wrap it there. Let's wrap it there, team. Another half-baked scheme hatched at the end of a show. That's what we do here. Mm. We love it. We love it when that happens. All right, that's it for today. I'm Zach. That's Wendy. Jen, Will, happy Monday. We'll be back tomorrow. Check us out on the podcast network. We're good for your ears and we're good for your eyes. Just made that up. All right. Thanks for watching. Talk to you soon. I Bye. Agree. Bye. <laughs>You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.